Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. It, uh, <clears throat> I think it feels like we're doing church all weekend, uh, working on the fundraiser yesterday and spending the evening together last evening, <clears throat> church this morning. I'm sure plenty of you will be at the viewing today for Lil's father, and then we have plans tonight, so looking forward to spending more time together. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, I will be talking about the Brotherhood this morning, our church, our community here, our small community, the Bride of Christ. This sermon was maybe inspired back in January when we had the privilege of being at uh, Faith Builders for five weeks, and I spent time in Steve Brubaker's class, Anabaptism as a Worldview, and this was a small part of, of what he touched about, but I was thinking it's something that I can bring back and uh, share with y'all. And Randy and I are not on speed dial, so we didn't plan this this morning that he would speak about the church this morning. Uh, so uh, the spirit uh, definitely moves and, and works in our hearts and lives. So we'll be looking at the body of Christ the Bride of Christ this morning, there's, of course, a global body of Christ, which is worldwide. We see evidence of that in Revelation chapter 7. It says, After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palms in their hands. There's going to be a multitude of churches there from all over the world, and we're a small part of that larger body that we'll meet sometime in the future. So today I'd like to talk about the local body, the church. The title of the sermon this morning is The Blessing of Brotherhood. I don't know if brotherhood always feels like a blessing. We'll talk about that a bit too this morning. Brotherhood is hard uh, at times. But there's so many blessings of brotherhood. So there's, there's three parts of, of being part of a brotherhood I'd like to talk about. The first one is belonging. The second is community. And the third is spiritual safety. So first of all, when we look at belonging... This is something that we are born with, aren't we? I, as I was preparing, I thought about our little six-month-old, Zeb. He has learned to sit on the living room floor and play with toys. He's still a little tottery, so it doesn't take much for him to plop. And, uh, and so you walk into the room, and he hears something, and he looks up. You know, it's interesting how babies look at your eyes, right? They look at your face. They want to communicate. They want to... They, they, they want someone and they want to interact. And if you're not careful and you walk by him, his, his head follows you and he plops. And so we laugh about that. But uh, little children are looking for connection. They, they want to communicate. They want to connect. A few months ago, I was reading a book to the children. It's, uh, the title of the book is Stranger in the Woods. I don't know if any of you have read that book. It's a book about Christopher Knight. When he was about 20 years old, he 
for some unknown reason, disappeared into the woods in Maine. And he lived there alone for 27 years until he was caught, finally caught after thousands of robberies, taking food from cabins and, and uh, a camp. He was finally caught after 27 years of living alone. And that's, that's a very much an outlier. I believe he was probably the person who lived alone the longest. We're not made to live alone. It's not natural for us. And we're used to community. We want face-to-face communication. And in John chapter 13, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I believe it's a little hard for Christopher Knight to love other people out there in the woods all by himself. And so we gather together this morning. I believe it's why we came to church. We could listen to the sermon. We could maybe participate in a small way by watching online. And yet we cannot fulfill what God has asked us to if we don't come and be here together. There's another story I'd like to share that brings out the concept of belonging. And uh, this is shared by Sebastian Junger. He was a journalist that was, um, he hunkered down with a group of soldiers in Afghanistan in the war. And these soldiers were away from home for about a year. They were in the war and uh, he was out there with them for a little over a month. They were on the side of a a mountain, and it had been weeks since anything had happened. It was complete boredom. They were just there together. And the one morning he he talks about uh, sitting there on on the ground, and he was leaning against some sandbags, and some sand just hit him in the face, and then he heard the machine gun fire, and that was the beginning of a battle that started the men that he was with were, had been out there for months already and, and has, were spending a year together out there. They had, some had, had died, had been killed, some had bullet holes in their clothes, and just a seemingly an awful situation. One of his friends, after they got back to the States, one of his friends he was with uh, in, in the war, they were at a, uh, a party one evening, And someone asked his friend, his name was Brendan, he said, so what do you miss about the war? Is there anything that you actually miss? And Brendan was quiet for a while, and then he responded, he said, I miss all of it. Sebastian describes Brendan as a very uh, traumatized man from what he experienced and what he saw. So how how could Brendan miss all of it? He didn't miss the killing, the getting shot at, his friends dying. But when it came down to it, Brendan missed the brotherhood. And this is not a friendship brotherhood. This is not I like you, but a brotherhood where he knew that the other men in his small group would lay down their lives for him. They would love him and stand up for him before they would stand up for themselves. 
The welfare and safety of others is above your own. And it was a very, very close brotherhood, and that's what he missed about the war. So Sebastian's philosophy was that if we're going to stop young men from going to war, we have to provide brotherhood. There's many stories of World War II, soldiers who were injured in in hospitals, uh, when they were well enough to get back on their feet, they escaped through windows and doors, and they slipped out and returned to the front lines. And, And we asked why. But they missed... They're, they're brothers. They missed the brotherhood that they felt on the battlefield. And so these soldiers come back after being in a tight group and going through the trauma of war. They come home to a society, and they don't know who they can count on. They don't know who's going to be there for them, who they can love. And if it comes down to it, who's going to really take care of them? And they find that more terrifying than being in war. It's easier for them to be in the war than it is to be alone. So this is a big problem in our society, and it's, it's something that I don't believe we really realize how big of a deal it is because we have a brotherhood here. We know where we belong. We know who our family is. Even if our own physical family is not there for us, we have our church family. This was brought out. The, the belonging piece was, I think, even brought out more because of COVID and all the restrictions and the psychological damage that that does to not have human interaction. So I believe we as a church, we have an answer to this problem. And if you look back on history at the early church and people, why people actually joined the church, it was truly about what Christians believed, but it was much more than that. People converted because they saw the way in which the early Christians behaved and did life together. And they wanted that. They wanted to be part of that. So today, with technology, we tend to be a little more isolated. And we view Christianity and and the, the worldview in America the worldview in America, the American view of church sometimes is, I'm not sure if I want to get too deep into that because things are going to be asked of me that I'm not sure I want to give or it feels a little vulnerable or why become part of something that I might be pushed out if I'm not willing to follow Christ. And so I'm not committing they miss the opportunity and blessings that come from being a church, part of a church, a church member to be an integral part of the body of Christ. And our culture, I believe, has, has uh, trained us to think about our personal happiness and fulfillment above the happiness and fulfillment of the group. And so we run from the painful but redemptive relationships that God has placed in our lives. When we look at scripture, we don't see many references to a personal savior, but we see references to our Lord. Especially in Paul's letters, he talks about Jesus our Lord as as being Lord of the group and not his personal Lord, with the exception 
of, I believe, the only verse that talks about that is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, my Lord. So it's a collective social model that was started in the New Testament that is what God is calling us to in brotherhood and to belong to each other. It's a commitment to love, to honor, to prefer others, to give yourself a ministering and doing ministry within the church. We can't do this from home. We can't do this from watching a screen. We can't do this from listening to a preacher on a podcast, but it comes from coming together and doing church life together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you read through that chapter, it talks about the body and all the different parts and how each part is important and we are all needed, each one of us. I I was thinking about it uh, last evening. I was putting the baby to sleep in in back of the gym and, uh, you know, the auction was going on and there were people out front auctioning and people buying, but behind the scenes there were people scurrying back and forth and making it all work. And and, uh, I won't call you out here this morning, but... You had such an important role to play. People really enjoyed the food. People enjoyed the organized auction. And there's so many important, every part in in the body of Christ is important. So we, as people of God, as Christians, need to have a connection and a part in a body, a local body of Christ. As one person said, receiving Christ as Savior without church involvement, is a sure recipe for a stillbirth. It brings life to our spiritual life to be part of a brotherhood and to belong. The second thing I would like to look at is community. We all want community, I believe, but community has never in the history of mankind been very easy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I believe as we look at community, the, the, the word that best describes this is the German word, Gelassenheit. That word could have a few paragraphs written about what it actually means. There's a few things that I wrote down here. One is self-surrender. It's a resignation to God's will. Yielding to others, gentleness, contentment, giving up one's stubborn will for the welfare of the community. And I believe each of us have a stubborn will. Uh, Maybe some are gifted with a more stubborn will than others, but we each have to deal with our will if we're going to do community. There's obedience, submission, humility, loneliness, and a yielded heart is fully submitted to God's will. And I believe best modeled by the Lamb of God who went to the cross to die for our sins and the sins of the world. It takes humility to do community together. It takes a willingness to admit that my understanding may be wrong and may be incomplete. Instead of our personal rights, we as a church prefer to be accountable Instead of being inclusively diverse, we prefer to have exclusive unity. And that's work. That's not choosing the easy road, but that's choosing what God has called us to. Harold Bender had much to say about the early vision of the Anabaptists, and and one of the big points that he made is that the early Anabaptists 
believed in voluntary church membership based upon true conversion and involving a commitment to holy living and discipleship. So as a church, we're a group of baptized believers who join together in commitment for the purpose of helping each other fulfill God's purposes for our lives, and it's a collective body of Christ, a collective community. And I believe the church should be made up of people who think differently than you. This is not a best friends club. These are people who are willing to engage, to challenge, to commit, to stick with it. And we're all united by the Holy Spirit. And there's so often, there's many small things, many contentious things that can come up that can drive us apart. And I believe Satan would like to see the body of church, the body of Christ, the church, fracture and and come apart as much as possible. And he he is at work against each one of us individually, but especially against the body of Christ. As I thought about community, I believe that as I look back over my experiences in life, it would be best described from my time at uh, Bald Eagle Boys Camp. I remember when I prepared to go, I thought my greatest challenge would be living outdoors on a morning like this or when it was cold all winter. How do you stay warm when it gets down into the single digits and there's snow on the ground? And what do you do? But uh, I was wrong. That was not at all what I struggled with. I was put in a campsite with another young man who I didn't know, didn't know him well, and I didn't choose him. And together we were supposed to parent a group of boys that we didn't pick. Boys that struggled to relate well with their peers or respect authority and who no one else was could could work with anymore and that was our group and so we lived in the woods and it was good we were in the woods we only had two rules at camp one was to do things as a group do everything as a group and the second was to do it in a good attitude and that was tough with our group so so many issues doing that so there was no no lack to the problems that came up So out of this group of boys that we worked with, there came a lot of struggle, a lot of problems and circle-ups. We were trying to sort through what was all the disagreements that came up, and and we lived together 24-7, and boy, if it was going to rub you wrong, it was going to rub you wrong, And, and, and there was no getting away from the group. Many boys, within a month or so of coming, would just tell the group that they made an awful decision to come because there's no one here that can help me. Y'all have the same problems I do, so how, how, who, who's going to help me with my problems? And actually, I want to leave. I'm going to tell my parents to pull me out of this place. And, and, and the group was, we were dysfunctional, and their chiefs had problems too, and they soon figured that out. They knew exactly what buttons to push to, uh, to figure out our problems. So there were many days that were just difficult, weeks that were difficult, months. And I think Ryan has had, he had quite an experience. It went on for probably a good year or so, just 
just incredibly difficult times. And then there were some breakthroughs where, you know, a boy needed to be told his actions weren't okay, and he was told in a good way. If he needed grace, he was given grace. If he needed time to sort through his emotions and and make a good choice, he was given time. And slowly but surely, this group of boys became functional, actually. They, they, They were learning how to do community well. In fact, they became so functional that they were more functional than some church groups. We were more functional than some church groups some days. Other days, not so much. But the boys did really well. They, they knew what was needed. They became more functional in some homes and, and businesses. They learned to speak truth kindly. They learned to listen very generously to each other. And, and they cared, began to care for others. As God did a work in their hearts from being in the group. So all this frustration and conflict and days and weeks and months of struggle, some good stuff started to come out of that. And boys camps historically have had a success rate with rehabilitating these boys that is far beyond what any other uh, group home has as far as success rate. I believe it's in the high 70s or 80s because of community. I think God has created us to do community like we do at the boys camp sometimes. Now, I'm not saying we should all live together 24-7, but we do a lot of life together, don't we? I personally remember uh, this one trip. It was a hiking trip. It was in the spring the one year. And I remember the boys being in bed, and I, I uh, lay down on the ground, and I was looking up at the sky. It was just pitch black. It was about five hours from here no light pollution, and, and the stars were so bright that night. And I lay there thinking, um, thinking about my friends back home. They were having a good time, I'm sure. And I was thinking about my family and missing them. And, you know, I could be back home and I could have a good job, and an easy job, and I wouldn't have to deal with these boys and all the struggles that were going to, start again when we got him out of bed in the morning. And yet, in the middle of that hard situation that I really wonder why I was there. Like, is this, why am I wasting my life? And yet, through that, God was also doing a work in my life. God never does much for us when everything's going well. That's not a time of growth and learning for us. One situation that also happened in the group, when, when new boys would come to camp, they would come with their parents and take a tour of the camp and get to see the campsite in the group and, and uh, choose if they want to come and help themselves and help others at camp. And the group would also have a word in it and would be able to say whether or not they would accept him in the group. And so we had this boy come to camp, and he moved into our group. And everything was great. He did have long hair, and I figured that wouldn't last long in the woods. That's just more to take care of. But his hair was down to his shoulders, and the next day we were in Chuck Wagon, and we were around the other groups. And, and one of the boys in the other groups 
just made a little motion just mocking this, this boy. I didn't catch it, but my group, the other boys in the group did. And we got out, outside, outside the chuck wagon, and uh, my boys were angry, and uh, they wanted to have a fight. They wanted to go teach this boy what, what he did was wrong. They, they were defending the new boy that had just come a day before. And so we talked through it and calmed things down and, and um, learned how to forgive and move on. But I think that that spoke to our new boy who had been there a day. All of a sudden he realized that he's an important part of this group. And the rest of the group is willing to fight for him if that's what it takes. Not that we promote fighting others, but they really were sticking up for him. They accepted him. He was part of them. And then I think about a few years ago, I came out of a conference room. It was in a, um, a, a mental health facility. And there was one of my camp boys from 20, 22 years ago sitting there in the room. And which was a total shock. And so we gave each other a hug and we're talking a bit. And he said, do you remember? And he started to talk about one of our canoe trips and all the fun memories that we had on that trip. And it just struck me how, you know, we spent hours upon hours with him in circle ups. He was pretty stubborn. He, uh, he aced the stubborn part. But he remembered the good times that we had together. And so in community, we need to just go have fun, too, as we, even in the middle of working out hard things, to have fun and enjoy life together. We all have heard the phrase, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory, to live below with saints we know, that's quite a different story. And we smile, but yet, that's sort of true, isn't it? It's a struggle to live in community. When we come to the communion table, we talk about peace with God and peace with each other. I believe the hard part sometimes is peace with each other. And it, but yet God is asking us to find a way to work together and have peace together. So how do we prepare to live in community? I don't know that anything can quite prepare us to live in community, but I would... I encourage you to think about a home where children love to spend time together with each other, playing games, singing together, where they would prefer to be in the living room with each other than in their bedrooms, where they find a way to live peaceably together and there's honor and respect and love in the home. Children learn at a young age to be quiet, obedient, and cooperative, and someday when they become church members, I believe they'll do well at community and church. We learn so much about community and church from our home. If there's an attitude growing up that it's all about me, that's probably the way that I'm going to look at church. But if there's love and a submissive heart at home, I'm going to join the church and continue to live out of that. And the church will benefit. There's a few things I'd like to share as a cost to brotherhood. 
when there's benefits, there's always a cost. The cost of brotherhood means staying engaged when everything in me wants to leave. It's pushing through disappointments in the people around me. It's pursuing the interests of people I don't always like. The cost of brotherhood is admitting that I could be wrong. It's supporting the group when a decision was made that I really don't agree with. It's prioritizing any and all opportunities to be with the brotherhood. It's spending a lot of time together when I would rather be doing something else. It's submission to a common creed, common values, common practices, common culture, not all of which I would choose. It's bringing our best thinking, our best ideas, our greatest creativity to bear for the good of the brotherhood. It's developing as an individual so that I have something that can benefit the group. And I believe each, each one of us have giftings, we have insights, we have so many things that we can, can bring and use for the benefit of the group and the church. What we learn about and grow in it, working in our homes, we can use to bless the church. And brotherhood involves a commitment to stay connected to the church. Valuing the body is not a temporary commitment as long as my needs are being met or as long as I don't have better options. It's a commitment more like marriage, through sickness and health, through the times of joy, but especially through the bad times, when everything in me is screaming to leave. That is a time we most need to stay for our own good. That is how brotherhood is built, and this is how the church is honoring to God. So we can't have the benefits of brotherhood without the hard work of investing in the brotherhood. And some of you that are older, and I don't know where the line is for being older, but you've stuck it out, and you've stuck it out for decades, for 50 years plus, and it hasn't been easy, has it? And yet you've stuck it out, and you're a challenge and an inspiration to the rest of us. It's such a blessing. And the world around us is watching. They know people have problems, but they expect more of the church than themselves. And they really do expect the church to find a way to work it out together. So community is such hard work, but a very important and rewarding part of brotherhood. And I believe it just takes a lot of humility to live together in, in brotherhood. Then the third point is spiritual safety. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting each other, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So I don't believe there's a safer place for a person to be than with a group of believers who are in the word. And, and they take seriously scriptural principles and they walk with each other in love and truth. That's a safe place to be spiritually.
Paul writes in one of his letters in uh, Philippians 2.12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye, is all, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I believe Paul is speaking about community there. That's working out our own salvation. That's working together as a church. So true faith always finds expression in, in our daily lives. And we, we uh, our faith, we can describe it in, in this way, that it's our living relationship with God that finds expression in our daily relationships with other people. And we know the greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. I believe the loving God part can sometimes be the easy part. I believe the Bible is best interpreted in local settings. Uh, the study, the reflection, discernment, action <coughs> are expected from each one of us as members. And so the commitment to be a Christian, to, to walk together in the church, is not a passive commitment, but it's very active. I believe our times of Bible study together are important because each, each, each of the members has something to share, something to bring. <clears throat> and it brings together the collective community, the, the wisdom of the whole community. And I, I just enjoy sitting in, in a Sunday school discussion, just listening. It's much more interesting than, than reading a commentary. Uh, but you learn other perspectives and you you hear things that you would not think about yourself. And together, discussing scripture is a safe place to be. I believe it's unsafe when we follow one person, when we follow a leader, and we, we follow his spiritual advice. That's how cults have started over the years. Account accountability groups, discipleship groups, I believe God uses each other as brothers to build his church and to keep us on the way to heaven. And he reveals his will through the church, not only in ordinations, but in other situations that we come across as a church. So I do believe that Anabaptism, the church, I believe it's a counterculture of considerable strength for withstanding the current tsunami of moral decay and defilement that's going on in the world around us. We need each other, and if we don't stick together, we're not going to be able to have the strength to stand. In conclusion, I'd like to read an excerpt from Christianity Today. This was from July 2003. The title of the article was Suburban Spirituality, and this is a part of, of that article. And I'll, I'll read it here at this time. For all its foibles, which at worst include lousy preaching, political infighting, self-centeredness, stagnation, a gaggle of special interest groups, the pokey local church, in suburbia is still the most fertile environment 
for spiritual development that there is. Genuine spiritual progress does not happen without a long-term attachment to a pokey local church. I'm all for improving the organization of a local church to make it more biblically effective, but the maddening frustration that prompts someone to leave one church for another may be the precise thing that holds great potential for spiritual progress. If one stays, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. It's a lot of big words there, so stick with me. Derek Bonhoeffer wrote, Only that fellowship which faces such illusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight. Begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Disillusionment with one's church then is not a reason to leave, but a reason to stay and see what God will create in one's life and in the local church. What I perceive to be my needs, as in I need a church with a more biblical preacher who uses specific examples from real life, may not correspond to my true spiritual needs. Often I am not attuned to my true spiritual needs, thinking that I know my true needs is arrogant and narcissistic. Staying put as a life practice allows God's grace to work on the unsanded area surfaces of my inner life. The biggest problem in any church I attend is myself and my love of self and my penchant to roam when I sense my needs aren't being met. Staying put and immersing oneself in the life of a gathered community forces one into eventual conflict with other church members, with church leadership, or with both. Frustration and conflict are the raw materials of spiritual development. All the popular reasons given for shopping for another church are actually spiritual reasons for staying put. They are a means of grace preventing talk of spirituality from becoming sentimental or philosophical. Biblical spirituality is earthy, face-to-face, and often messy. Taken from Christianity Today. So may God help each one of us to commit to and value the church, the body, the local body of believers that he has placed us in. And I just want to say that I do appreciate each one of you. And as I look back over my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, Definitely not without my family, but also without each one of you. And so may God bless each, each one for their contribution to the church and the commitment to each other. Let's kneel for prayer.